Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 89. I speak for the trees. You're right. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, it's nice to be back after having been sick the uh, last few weeks. That was no fun. I, I'm glad to be here. I really enjoyed the the last episode. It was a lot of fun hearing it. Thank you, Julius. My pleasure. I was happy to have my brother on. He he definitely got a kick out of getting, getting involved there. Yeah, he looked like he had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, he, he did. Like, he sounded like he had a lot of fun. He looked like it, too, but you just didn't get to see that <laughs> okay. part. I wouldn't know. Yeah. Um... That was actually his recommendation, by the way, Red November, um, was his recommendation for his, for his game. So, I like that game. I like that. And I've wanted to cover it on the podcast for years, just never gotten to it, so I'm glad it was done. Mm-hmm. I was very happy to hear it. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate that both of us have only ever played the little itty-bitty game. And that when both of us have played the because I recently went to go visit him, and I played the little itty-bitty version of the game. And I mean, it's not so little itty bitty, but it's like a micro size game, mm-hmm. and so that's the one that we both have. And so we went to play. We're like, we really wish we could, you know, see the bigger version of the game, <laughs> just to see what it looked like. But yeah, no. You see, I haven't tried that. I, it's a lot bigger. I mean, the box is, you know, obviously way bigger. Mm-hmm. But I've got the small one too, and it works for me, and I'm happy with that. Indeed, indeed, it does. All right, so today's show, we're going to be talking about Sylveon. Which is, it's a neat, another neat game, another game by uh, Shady Torbe in the Omniverse series. This is, I don't know how you count if it's a second or third game. Well, I mean, I don't know, is Urbion actually in? I guess it is. It It is, but they rebooted it and they haven't reprinted that one yet in, the new, in that new box size. The only question is, will they? I think they will. I think it's just a matter of time. Okay. I don't know. I can't, I can't imagine they wouldn't. And I look forward to seeing that when it comes out again. Have you played the original before? Mm-hmm. Yep. I do have that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it. It's different. It's 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 more mathy than the other ones, which is interesting. A lot more mathy. All the games are so different. Yes. Um. So do we have any news? I've only got one item of news today. What's your piece of item news? Um. Well, I get emailed by... Uh, Someone in BGG, Robin, he has a game that he came out with. Um, it's a lot like um, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective or Gumshoe, the, those uh, mystery crime games where you're, you're reading paragraph books and going around in a map and exploring. And he has a game that's called The Martian Investigation. It's set on Mars in a in a colony plant, a non-colony on the planet Mars. And there's been a murder there, apparently, and you're trying to solve it. Dum-dum-dum. Mm-hmm. And it is currently one adventure only, but it is available to to you can purchase it online directly from him for and it's only two dollars. It's a great price for the one adventure. It's a uh, three files, one map, one uh, chapter book, and then like a like a reference directory, sort of like a like a phone book kind of thing or something. So, so definitely what, worth checking like it out. Choose your own adventure type thing. Now that you own, have you ever played have you ever played Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective? Uh, it's it starts and it gives you a mystery and says you know this is what's going on, and here's a map of London. Go explore. And then you know you've got some clues. So like you know in that one maybe your mystery is that the uh, some guy got murdered and the person had really fancy shiny shoes that they found one of them missing. So you might go look in the map and look in the directory for the the cobbler, and go talk to the cobbler because maybe he knows something about these shoes and that might give you some clues. So you just got to read the descriptions and, and decide 
where you might want to go. It, it is very much like solving a crime, way more than Choose Your Own Adventure book, because, you know, the Choose Your Own Adventure always gives you one or two choices. Here, it's very open-ended. So, you know, it's $2. Check it out. Give it a try. See what you think. Very cool. Maybe I will. I and we'll that. include a link for that in the show notes. And then that's it. That's my only piece of news this time. Well, I got a couple other pieces of news. I mean, first one I'm surprised you're not mentioning is the 2015 People's Choice Top 100 Solo Games Awards voting. Oh, yeah. I, I'm that sorry takes, I didn't think of that. I'm sorry. That <laughs> took way too long for me to say because that's a really long title. But the uh, People's Choice for the Top 100 Solo Games of 2015 voting has started. And voting is going to be open until November 30th. And the way it works, and we'll be giving a direct link, but you, if you sent a mail to Kevin Erskine, which is K-E-R-S-K-I-N-E username on uh, BGG, um, you can send in however many games you want, up to 20, for what you believe are the top games of 2015. Um, I, know that, I think that you said you've already actually voted in this, haven't you, Albert? Yep, I sent in my list last week. And I got that. I picked 20. I picked 20 games that I've played and that I've really enjoyed. It was a little hard. I started with a list of 30, and I narrowed it down to 20 eventually. I haven't done it yet. I'll see if I get to it. I'm not quite sure. I'd have to think about, well, what is a 2015 game also? Because I know I've gotten some older games that aren't from 2015. That That's fine. It's your top games. It's really what it is. Look at all the solo games you've played and pick your favorite 20. And that, that That's what the goal is. Oh, so, so it's the top is, of all of all time? Yes. Okay. Last year had many games that were not from that year at all. Oh, okay. I can't, did not recall. So I guess it's your top 20 of anything. Oh, okay, fine. That mm-hmm. makes it easy. I'll have to think about that at least. Yep, it does help. It's a lot of fun picking the games, and it's fun just to go back and look at the games and say, oh, this is fun. i got to play it again soon. Mm-hmm. And I had a few of that, that like, I wanted to try. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we are going to do like last year, and we're going to announce the top 20 here. Just like in last year's uh, show. So Kevin, last year what he did is he, he made a geek list and every day he introduced a few, uh, starting counting down from 100 and, you know, he'd, he'd give you 10 today, 10 the next day. And once it got to 80, then we did the top 20 on the show and published the show. And that evening he published the rest on the geek list. So, so if you don't want to know the top 20, come here first. Awesome. So mm-hmm. that's the 2015 votes. Uh, let's see here. What else have we got going on? Um, I saw some, I know some games have got released recently. Uh, I know that the grizzled, which is a co-op, uh, which I haven't got a chance to play, but I know some people have recommended for me from cool mini or not has come out. I don't think that supports solitary play from what I've heard. Oh, it doesn't. I asked, I, I asked at the store and it's not really the sort of thing you could play solo. It looks great though. I'd like to try it. Oh, okay. I just haven't had the chance either. I haven't had a chance either, but someone uh, someone recommended it for me, so maybe not. I don't know. We'll have to, mm-hmm. we'll have to figure that one out. But, uh, I, I saw at the at my local game store, I also saw Pandemic Legacy on the shelf. Ah, uh, yes. Have you started that playing that one good. yet? I have not. I have not gotten it. Oh, that does remind me. I did email Rob Davio and Matt Laycock, and both of them responded that there is no mechanic in Pandemic Legacy that would prevent you from playing it solo, and you can play it solo mm-hmm. up to playing four characters at once or two characters at once. Um, and go through it and enjoy the storyline as a solo mission, and that's perfectly fine. Nice. Okay. So that's good. So I may check that out. Maybe Christmas is around the corner. I still have not got a chance to play it. I I know that I have uh, some local groups that want to want to play it, but nothing's come together yet. So hopefully that'll okay. hopefully that'll happen. 
I'd like. I'd definitely like to game, get a game through of it. Do we have any more news? Not that I know of. Not at all. Okay. Do we have anything on Kickstarter going on? We do have some things going on Kickstarter. <laughs> um, so a couple of things that were on Kickstarter, actually. Um, only three that I think I'm going to talk about, but let me get them in the right order, because I normally try and get them in the right order by date. Doo-doop. Doo-doop. And one of them I think you might have been interested in. Maybe so. I still have not looked at... Well, I've looked at Kickstarter, but I'm still not backing anything. Nothing? Nothing at all. Did you back um, Seven Consoles? Nope. Nope. I don't think I want to. It, it's way too far too out. Expensive. Too expensive. Well, too expensive and just... Uh, I don't want to wait a year and a half. I hear that. I assume you did not back Sky. Scythe. No, I have not either. So, first game we're going to talk about is a game called Onus. Onus? O-N-U-S, however it works. And so the game actually has three three things. The base game is Rome versus Carthage, but you can get two expansions with the Kickstarter, which are the Scenery and Fortresses expansion and the Greeks and the Persian expansions. So... The idea of this is it's a uh, card game battle game. Um, what it looks like to me from taking a look at it is it's sort of like a minis war game, except that instead of playing with minis, you've replaced it with cards. Uh, that sort of stuff tends to interest me because it means that you can get a um, war game in with it without having to pay for minis. So the base game of this one would be $32 for the base game, and you uh, you could get 37 Actually, I think it's the f- the full pack. If you want all the expansions, is sixty five. Um, but the idea, what it looks like to me, and I have not had a chance to play it, but what it looks like, I had a chance to look through the uh, tutorial of it. You have different unit cards, and so you'll have the Rome and the Carthage unit cards. So, for instance, you'll have the uh, princeps and the cohorts and the sagittari, and so you have the different sorts of units that will charge down the field and they'll have the different sort of values, you know, for their attack and their uh, defense and for how far they can shoot and things like that. And you'll use rulers to march these cards across the board or rotate them or expand your flanks or get soldiers. And so it comes with a bunch of counters to be able to keep track of things and what they do and apply heroes and all sorts of stuff. But yeah, to me, it looks like essentially it's a card game war game. Uh, a, a card version of a minis war game where you're just going around the big board and moving your units as represented by the cards around to do battle and defeat the other person. And with the scenery, so you can have scenery, so you can have ballista and you can have fortresses and walls and things to knock through and, you know, make that, make that a bit more interesting. So. Yeah, that looks yeah. really cool. This game looks really nice. I like the art on it a lot. Mm-hmm. Do you know what kind of solitaire play it has in it? Is it a, a you play both sides sort of thing, or is there some sort of AI? I wonder. Long pause. I know that there's a solo rulebook. Let me take a look at it so I can answer that question oh, with a bit more understanding. I'm just going to let the solo rulebook load. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Because I was watching the mini video tutorial of it yesterday. 
Okay. It says, in order to play the IA player. AI. It says IA where I'm looking. Well, Way down at the does, at the bottom of the first does, page it one. It does change a couple times. <laughs> you know, my bro, my my son was looking at um Star Realms on the on the phone, and you know when you play against a computer, it says AI, and he was saying, "Hey, why is Al doing that stuff?" <laughs> it's not Al. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so this has an Al too. So yeah, but it definitely needs a little bit of work with the editing. But yeah, it appears that it's just a dice-controlled AI that will do what it does based upon the dice. Okay. So it's which may work and may not. I mean, I haven't had a chance to go up against it. It's obviously still in Kickstarter. I'm not sure. But that's what it looks like. Is uh, you know, it's card-based, and so you're using the dice to control where they're going, what they're doing, whether they want to flank or aim for someone specific, or you know, stuff like that. I see. Which might work. Mm-hmm. Oh. I can't. I can't particularly comment on it one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, uh, you don't know until you try. Now, do you think this is a the, these expansions will be available later, or is it like a Seventh Continent where at least one of the expansions is not available, or is only available through the Kickstarter? They don't say that it's going to be um, exclusive. They're not saying that at all. With the Seventh Continent, they're very explicit that one of them is going to be exclusive. The stretch goals are exclusive for Kickstarter backers, but. I mean, currently what they have for the stretch goals is going to be, you know, I, I think they're upgrading the dice is one of them. Uh, let's see here for the stretch goals. So some scenery. Um, fill of massive. Oh, no, it's not even an upgrade of the dice. It's You get a couple extra. Oh, no, that's not the stretch goals. Yeah, so for you, upgrade the dice for one of the stretch goals or a different card in there or something like that. So. Yeah, so the stretch goals are exclusive to Kickstarter, but the the expansions are not. So you could get the expansions the rest of it afterwards if you wanted. But who knows? I, I have no idea how much it's going to be at that point in time. And how much is this? How much time does the Kickstarter have left? So the Kickstarter is going to be ending on November fifteenth. Um, and and again, in order to get the base version of the game without any of the expansions it's $32. Now that I mean personally for me the idea of being able to play a war game without minis does interest me. Um and being able to play with cards and this one it's not it's it's ruler based. So mm-hmm. it's not it's not something like for example Summoner Wars where even though it's you know sort of like a war game and it's really more that it's it's a uh, specific to a location it's still on a grid yeah this one's not on a grid you have full freedom of movement um but i'm i think that uh i i played once before warhammer disc wars i think it's called okay yeah um where with that one it's another one like a war game but instead of having minis you have these discs almost like poker chips and so movement is done by actually you flip it over and the speed that it goes is how many times you can flip it. So if it's a bigger unit, a single flip will take it farther. And if it lands on another unit, so then you're going to be in conflict. And you can measure a ruler for being able to shoot with the distance, and otherwise you have to actually touch with it. And you can move around. You don't even use rulers for that one. You simply have to keep flipping. So, you know, that game I actually really liked a lot for being a war game without minis mm-hmm. because I, I liked the flipping mechanic. I liked how it was all built in it, and you had each unit being something interesting and unique. With this one, with the cards being able to move specifically on the cards, also because the cards, they, they tie into the, the rules a bit about being 
which direction they go based upon which way they have the flank and how it is that they work. So you can go around from the side based upon how your card is, is oriented to try and flank someone out, just as an example. So, I mean, they try and orient and try and make use of the cards as well as they can. I'd have to try it myself in order to really compare it to Warhammer Disc Wars, but I think Warhammer Disc Wars for me just really hit the spot for being that minis without uh, working without minis type uh, scenario. Yeah, you know, and that's the sort of game that would work for me because I wouldn't have time to paint real minis and, and work on all that. A game mm-hmm. with with discs or cards is it's easy to set up and it looks nice out of the box, which is great. And it does look nice. No, I mean the art on the cards does look nice. It looks yeah. like well drawn images of you know the units as they attack. I think this just comes down to I'd like to I guess I'd like to just see a couple more reviews for it before I would put to it and I don't think they have any reviews up for the game so far although I think that this is really essentially supposed to be for the expansions and I think that they may have the reviews of the actual game up already on Board Game Geek only one way to find out real quick though now, now this reminds me of another game that came out a few years ago that was also using cards as in a miniature style game Oh, and that is? It was um, Battleground Fantasy Warfare. And, and this obviously it was a fantasy theme, but you know you had little cards, and those were like little plastic like credit card style cards, and you would actually mark on it with a dry erase marker when your units got hit and that sort of thing to keep track of damage, which is a neat idea. I've never Not played really it, but nice. I saw it, and it looked nice. And this reminds anyway, me a lot so, of it. So anyway, that's Onus. Sure. So the next one we're going to talk about is called Dead Cert, a murder mystery card drama. So this game is actually, uh, I find it unique that they have the player count quite so broad. They claim it's one to six. That's a nice wide range. (laughs) That's a good wide range, yes. And so the idea of this one is that there are multiple characters for the game. And so I think that they claim there's 37 suspects. And you have motives, means, and opportunities for each one. And you have a random set of what goes on. So you select out. So you start out by... It's entirely a card-based game to try and figure it out. So you randomly select a victim, a crime scene, and a time of death that describe what the murder mystery is. And so with each of those, you have suspect cards that match in with each of them. And so you have to use some intuition to figure out which one of those cards or which one of the suspects fits the clues based upon the murder episode. So just as an example, you can get for the um, crime scene, you can get the London Eye with a sniper shot. The headshot was an instant kill. It took the operator six minutes to return the panic scene to the platform. It was only then that the officers could estimate the trajectory and determine the shooter's location, the roof of the shell center, but the sniper by then was well gone. So that sets up where it is. And so you read that out and you look at that and you start thinking with clues. Well, which of these suspect cards makes sense to do it? And so you'll go and you'll shuffle them together and you'll you'll use um, intuition to try and figure out, well, which one of them it could be. So, for example, 
Um, it could be Nigel Rawlinson. And so you go and you talk to him about his opportunities. And he says, I worked from home that day. My wife, Sandra, can vouch for me on that one, offered Nigel Rawlinson. Slightly bemused as if caught off guard, Sandra confirmed his alibi in words that were a lot surer in the, than the way in which they were delivered. The trouble for Nigel, that is, is that her debit card showed up at Watro's and Ann Summers that afternoon. Perhaps there was a supermarket promotion on. So that gives you hints about where it is that they could be, and you have to run things through to figure out how the uh, to figure out who it could be. So this sounds really open. I don't fully understand how you, how you finish it. They have a demo, but the demo doesn't see. They have um, well, excuse me, they have a demo. They have a video up that shows them starting the game and in the middle of the game. I don't understand how you pull it together and actually finish the game. But uh, it sounds interesting to me that you're you're trying to put together this puzzle sort of idea. So when you're playing solo, so everything is played open and up, but you can actually play when you're playing multiplayer that's, that you can mess with the other players and you can swap cards out and just stick around and, and make things a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the it sounds like it, the solo play is also a bit random. It, it mentions well, it's random to set it up and figure out what it is that you're doing. Yeah, it, well, it mentions you know all cases are winnable, but some will be harder than others due to the shuffle of the cards in play. So you could you could win it, but you know it may be simple or it may be hard. It just depends on how how well you shuffle. Yeah, because because what happens is you shuffle up and you figure out randomly what the three victim location and time are. And so if those don't put together in a way that gives you enough clues to find out the answer, well, then you're stuck without enough clues. If they come together that, that you can quickly reach an answer, so then you could quickly reach an answer. And so the difficulty can be random, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I have a feeling that at one point, I'm, I'm sure that if, if enough of these get up, people would say, oh, here's the ones you want for this level difficulty and see if you can solve it. Because I think that there's there's probably you know a good couple hundred versions you could just go through and check off each one. But I feel like by that point in time you'd probably you know figure out figure out all the people well enough that you can uh, figure out that's true <laughs> who everyone should be at that point in time. That's neat. This this is a different take on a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having to be actual people that you're trying to figure out how they could fit in. Yeah, I like it. So it's definitely a unique take. Um, it's definitely something unique and it's also not very expensive. Um, the game in order to get the, the base version of the game, it's only 25 pounds. It's about uh, 40 bucks. So actually I thought it was not expensive cause I was looking at the pounds. It's actually about 40 bucks mm-hmm. in order to be able to get the dead cert game. So sorry about that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it definitely does something unique, something that I haven't really seen before. Yeah. There are still some early bird specials left, so you could actually get it for $31 us. I have a feeling that it won't be by the time we get this edited, but maybe. maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's a good point. There may be some early bird specials. Check it out. I don't know if I'm a fan of the art, though, but I don't know if the art is final. The art seems a little bit bland to me. Um, the way yes. the art looks is it looks like it's a pencil sketch of whatever it is that happens, which might fit in with the theme because you're getting a sketch artist to come pencil out what it is. So I might fit with the theme, but I think it's a little bit bland for me to be able to appreciate that art. Yeah. The the, the cards don't look very professional. May, hopefully they get a little more work done on them. Let's see if they say at the end what it is that they still have to do. Uh, 
Doesn't seem like they do. So, yeah, it looks like that's going to be the final art. Yeah, it does. And that doesn't impress it me. It does seem like it. That doesn't impress me so much. Game interests me, but the art doesn't impress me so much. And that could just be, you know, the way it is. Mm-hmm. All right, on to the last one that we're going to talk about today. Creepy monster. (laughs) (laughs) This is like Space Hulk Death Angel underwater. Something like that. So this one is called Fathoms, which is a deep sea turn-based action adventure minis game. And so this one still has, it's it's, uh, going until November 19th. Now then, it is minis. And so as happens with minis, so the price does come up a bit more. So the pledge is uh, $60 for this one. So it comes with uh, 48 minis, I believe it comes with. And so five of those are for the main characters and the rest are for the enemies. Um, I actually do think the minis look kind of cool. Like you said, the the um, monsters, the enemies are these undersea creature things. Um, they definitely, they, they evoke that, that creepy sense to them that, uh, that definitely appeals. Yeah. They, they look very alien- and, and very aquatic at the same time. Uh-huh. And they, I, they look, they just look creepy. <laughs> you know? I think they do that. Yes. Which is neat. Mm-hmm. And it has a lot of cards also. Mm-hmm. So everybody can have unique weapons. And, and it has a neat game board. A folding board, which is not a, a, a rectangular shape at all. Well, I actually think it's modular. Just a moment. It says foldable. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not modular. But the idea of it is, is that you are underwater, and you're in a bathysphere, an underwater uh, science vessel, and unfortunately something's happened, and so the monsters have breached the walls of the bathysphere and are trying to get in and kill you. And so your goal is to not let them kill you. Always a good plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so for this game. In the in the regular level of the game, it's going to be one versus all, and so there's one character that's going to be playing the the monsters, and there's everyone else is going to be playing the heroes, and so this sounds very similar to Descent and games like that, and yeah, it, mm-hmm. I'll admit it does sound similar to those with Descent. Now then, the first stretch goal that they have out, um, which. I believe is going to be the $40,000 stretch goal, but the way they structured their stretch goals is a little confusing to me. Um, but I believe that the, the 40000 stretch goal, they're going to be adding in um, solo mode, a fully cooperative mode, in which case the game will play for the Fathoms creatures. Now that I was talking with someone else who got to have a chance to actually play the um, prototype of the game, and he said that he really hopes that the solo mode gets in there because really playing as the Fathoms Master isn't a lot of fun because the game is is to a degree in terms of the creatures lighter than something like Descent. So the amount of decisions that the that the bad guy, the Fathoms Master, has to do are more light and really just based on a die roll and not really full of good decisions. And so it's more fun to be able to play it as full co-op than to try and actually control it, just because there's so much die rolling that the Fathoms Master has to do. So I haven't had a chance to play it, but I'm just echoing what it is that he says based upon his experience having played the game. Um, so 
If it gets that stretch goal, that's fine. Uh, it's a few days into the project and it has not yet backed. It's uh, still uh, quite a bit of way to go, but it could be that it will, and uh, hopefully it will. Hopefully it will. Hopefully it will get up there. Um, now, the, what interests me about this is they actually have two unique things that involve this, and especially right after we did Red November, I thought that these were particularly interesting because Red November also takes place underwater, and we just reviewed Red <laughs> November last week, uh, two weeks ago. So the first one is the the fact that since you're underwater, there's actually water that can come in. And the water that comes in will move around and it can move stuff from board to board and it actually flows as, you know, sort of trying to mimic how water would flow around the board. And it can slow you down, it can mess up your equipment, it can help the enemy, and you have to control where the water goes and how it falls down. Of similar importance is elevation. So water will flow downward. So elevation on the board can be important, but also because elevation takes into play, you can jump down on someone or you can take shelter higher up or an enemy can jump out at you from up above. And so there's a definite sense of elevation of of trying to create three dimensions to the game and how water would flow through the game that way that that are both things that uh, have not seen done before although i think this water is a more interesting mechanic how they sort of try to mimic that um makes it un- more unique than descent if that's a, you know if you're into that then it's something that looks very cool mm-hmm. yeah I, I like the sound of that the water the water mechanic sounds great and mm-hmm. and if you look at the map I and mean, you could see where there's ladders going down and up into different sections so you could you could see how it really impacts the game you you may find that you're going to try and go straight across from one room to another and now one room's flooded, you're going to have to go all the way around. And well, I think it it's, all, it's, it's similar to sort of in Red November or mm-hmm. in other games like that or really in something like Pandemic where if you start to lose control of the water and you really start to flow out, so then the game is just going to get much more hard and it's going to spiral. So really it's going to become a game about trying to control the water and keep the flooding down and close the breaches before the enemies can use those to get in or it starts slowing you down even worse as the level of the water rises. So it becomes really just a chore, just a, the part of the task is to keep control of all of those pieces. It's a shame this game wasn't out the two weeks ago when you were talking about Red November because it sounds so much like it. <laughs> you it does it. kind of sound like it. Yeah, no drunk gnomes. <laughs> well, no, no, that's un- unfortunate. Now, one thing I really like, it, it, just to to point out the way they're running the Kickstarter is they have a, a graph at the bottom showing you what you get with each pledge level, and it is very clear and easy to understand. A lot of times, these Kickstarters have these really weird graphics and stuff that. It's hard to figure out, but this is a nice little table, and, and you can see everything there. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you do have the all the way on the right sides. $5,000 will get you everything. $5,000 not only gets you everything, but you get to put a character in the game. Mm. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> huh, yeah. not for me. Nope. Anyway, so, yeah. That is Fathoms, and it's $60 to get the game, and it's going to be finishing out on November 19th. All right. Cool. Okay. And that is our Kickstarter report. 
All right, so we I want to talk about for a little bit about demoing games. Um, I had two interesting things that happened over the past weekend just in regards to demoing games. Now, now, Albert, have you ever demoed games, either multiplayer games or solo games? You mean to other people? Yeah. No, no, I, I've I've been at demos and I've learned games from other people, but I've never sat down to teach. I'm a bad teacher. You don't. If I'm demoing a game, it's not gonna help sell the game. Well. So, no. Uh, I'm the You're kind doomed. of person that teaches a game and, you know, halfway through, oh, did I forget that rule? I'm sorry. That, you know, that totally changes the way the game works out, by the way. And so I get to win all of a sudden. Look at that. Hmm. Well, the, <laughs> I, I had two instances of where I was actually demoing a game over the weekend. First one was actually um, with the uh, hostage negotiator that uh, I definitely know you're familiar with, mm-hmm. but I had a local friend who actually owns the local um, FLGS, the friendly local game store. And so he's the owner. And I know that he had bought for himself a copy of hostage negotiator um, because back when it was on Kickstarter, I told him about it. He thought it was interesting. So when it came out to release, he went ahead and got a copy of it. And I went over and I said, you know, I don't think you've actually opened up the game. Is that true? Did you like it? He said, no, I haven't. I just have never wanted to learn the rules. I'm like, oh, do you want me to show it to you? So I offered to pull it out, and I demoed the game for him. I showed him the rules, and I let him run through most of the game, sort of helping make sure that everything went went right. Um, so after we played through the game, so I had left out, so I brought my copy along with in order to show the game off. So after I left it out for a little bit, so someone else comes over and says, hey, hostage negotiator, what's this thing? And so I said, well, it's a it's a solo game. Not expecting that someone in the middle of a you know bunch of people when oh, there's a lot of people playing multiplayer games would want to play another solo game. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, it's a solo game, so I'm you know if you're interested, I can show it to you. He says, yeah, I saw you showing that off earlier. I'd really like to see how to play that. Yeah, can you teach me? And so I went and demoed it again. And then a little bit later, someone else comes over to me and does the same thing and says, hey, can you show me that? Can you show me that again? And you know, I kind of feel like with some of these solo games, you w- when you have a multiplayer game, you sort of get to demo it because someone else wants to play it with you. Yeah, you know, someone wants to play it with you, so you have a chance to sort of realize it and understand it, and and essentially get a demo of it because it's someone else's game, and you play it like, man, I really like that. I'm going to get one for myself or something like that. But I feel like with solo games, you don't really often get that, unfortunately. Because there's never any chance where you play it with someone else, where you show it off to someone else. And so, I, you know, I was personally just, you know, it could be that I'm I'm also an element of it. I was surprised that people wanted to have a demo of, of a solitaire game happen. And But by the time the night was done, I had demoed Hostage Negotiator three times. And uh, afterwards, the store owner comes over to me and says, hey, I just want to let you know, I- I've sold out on all my copies of Hostage Negotiator from you demoing the game. Oh, wow. They're off, they're off the shelves. I don't have any more of them. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm, thank you very much. I'm glad to know that uh, <laughs> the demoing was somewhat successful. Thank you very much. Um, but, you know, the, the idea of demoing a solo game, I kind of feel like you don't get the same publicity that you get for solo games as you do get for multiplayer games. And even Mm -hmm. for multiplayer games, I think that there are some companies out there that do have demos going on that they have, um, you know, programs where they have, for instance, uh, Stone Myers has their ambassadors program and, um, who does the Knights? um, 
I don't know. I know Cool Mini or Not has a program. Cool Mini or Not has a program. They have a program too. So a lot Looney of Labs has a program. Yep. So a lot of these people have programs to go and demo the games, and you know you get credit or something with them. And so it depends on whichever one it is that you get. But I've never seen one of those for solo games, and I kind of feel like solo games perhaps get shied away a bit because you often just don't see them showing up at a at a local store. And if we don't have solo, if we don't have demos going on for them, I feel like the word's just not going to get out there. That's you know? a good point. Yeah, and, and yeah, it's weird demoing a solo game because, because like you said, only one person is going to play it. So if you're teaching the person, a lot of times you're demoing a game, you're playing with them and showing them right. as you guys are playing together. But here it's, here, I, I will play and you watch me or you play and I'll explain it as you're playing to you. And I'll explain to or you usually, you usually what happens when I'm demoing a solo game uh, is I will facilitate all the board movement. I will move things around and show you why it is that I'm doing it. Like, so with hostage negotiating, I'll take away cards after you play them and I'll do the tarot cards and I'll move the bad guy, the, the bad guy track or for other games, I'll do all the bad stuff and make sure that, that all the mechanics are being played right while you get to make all the decisions. And so, you know, sometimes, you know, that, that could help or that could hinder learning the game, but I feel like it helps keep the game flowing as well and just make sure that I stay involved with it. But, you know, I don't know. I think that, that we're really losing out by not doing these. And I think that I'm also sort of part of the problem is because I have this reddened sense about the demos. Mm-hmm. I understand. You know, when, when I'm at a game store, I'm usually there to play a game. So I, I feel get cheated if I'm not going to get to play too, honestly, because I don't get to play that often. I hear that. And, and so I want to play as much as possible. But, but then again, teaching people games can be fun. It definitely can. I think so. I think mm-hmm. so. So, I mean, that was one of my recent demo involvements was uh, for um, Hostage Negotiation. I'd be interested to hear if anyone else has had any other um, interactions about these demos or any other thoughts on demos or what we can do to help make demos for one player, you know, perhaps work a little bit better. You know, I, I don't know if there's a good way of doing the demos for them or making sure that people feel involved or being able to get it out as a demo. So I'm, I'm curious what, uh, what, what things people have done or if you have any ideas, Albert. I do not, but I will think on it some more. Now, if you when you going to get a game demoed, would it would you want to do a short game or would you be willing to to teach somebody a longer game, like a two or three hour game? Well, I think if I'm doing a two to three hour game, I'm not sure that I would just pull it out and see if anybody wants to do it. I think I would actually try and plan for it, and I'd okay. say, you know, is anybody interested in having a demo of it and actually try and run a scheduled time? But the problem with that is, I don't know if anybody would actually say yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I think I think it would depend upon the level of excitement that's going on for the game before i would get a yes yep i wonder i wonder if in that situation you could maybe more do like a tournament where you teach two or three people at the same time and each of them are playing a copy of the game if you have multiple copies yeah that's a little expensive (laughs) that's true now in a few weeks there's a what is it called a lord of the rings uh tournament for the lord of the rings lcg right which is a cooperative card game and okay. I talked to my friend at local game store, and they ordered a, a tournament pack, so I'm going to get to be in it. But I will probably be the only person in that tournament because that game's not really popular at that store. <laughs> so that's going to be interesting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go compete in this tournament. I'm pretty sure I'm going to win the tournament. <laughs> if I'm the only, even if I lose, good I luck. Tell me how that goes. <laughs> I will. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Tell um, me how that goes. Mm-hmm. I will. So we'll see. So, I mean, that was one of two things I actually got to demo. I also had the chance to demo the Seventh Continent, the uh, demo file for that. Have you heard of... 
I know you've heard of yes. some of the content, but did you know that they had a demo P- PMP that they put out? I've heard of it, but I haven't tried to check it out at all. Now, is so that, is that a, with nice artwork already and everything, or is it very simple? It is artwork? It is nice artwork. You actually, in order to be able to do the demo, you sort of have to print it out in high quality and in full color ink. So it's going to cost you a bit in ink to do it. Um, so I know that I went ahead and did it, and I said, hey, I, I'm going ahead and printing this. Does anybody want to have a demo? Go on for it. And I had a bunch of people who actually were very interested in having the demo. So I ran the demo about four times over the weekend. Now, fortunately, it's only about a 30-minute demo. And I know that there's some, that someone has put the demo. I think that it's on Vassal and it's also on Tabletop Simulator at this point in time. If you want to take mm. a look at it in either place, if you if you like playing digital. Um, but yeah, essentially, it's a full art one. Um, in some respects, it I feel like it was a little bit rushed because you know, for example, some of the translation was not correct, was not fully up to up to up to par. Okay. Um, but in some of the other aspects. It uh, well, let's talk about my general idea first before I do anything that's spoiler. I liked it still, um, okay. even with all of the issues. I still like the demo. I think that it really showed me what the core mechanics of the game is. Now it's only a twenty thirty minute demo, and it's only about eight pages, so it's only you know like sixty cards or something like that. So it's a very short demo, but it's enough that each element of the game, I feel, was really represented so that I could tell, listen, this looks like an interesting adventure with stuff that's going on with this and this and this. And I think it's enough that you can get a feel for the sort of aspects of the mechanics of the game. You can't really get a feel for the game because the idea of a sprawling, huge adventure, you can't really get from it. But it gets sort of a taste of the mechanics and the idea of the game from the demo. And for me personally, I think that really, even after having played the demo or having played the demo, it really cemented my mind that I think that this is going to be an interesting and adventuresome game to play. And I'm looking forward to being able to play a copy of it for the Seventh Continent with the demo. Nice. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I definitely think the demo is worth a play. If you haven't had a chance to play it somewhere and you're interested in printing it off or something like that, you can go ahead and take a look at it. Um, if you back the game at a dollar, so then come January, they'll be opening up the pledge manager and you can get the full game then, or you can get it when it hits retail, but the demo gives you a chance, even at retail, the demo will be useful just to know, well, am I interested in playing that if you don't want to see other uh, reviewers. This gives you a chance to actually experience it more than listening to other reviewers. That's just a couple pages long. Yeah, that's not bad. You know, in something like that, if you don't want to spend your ink, it's easy to take that to Office Depot or Kinko sort of place and let them print it out for a couple dollars. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Uh, or you can play it online if you want to do it. It's a very short game, so if you use Vassal or something like that, it's probably worth it just also to play it online just to get that experience. Okay. Now, do you know if the... Um the, the cards that are available are part of the actual game that will be produced, or is it like a separate story? So what they did is, so for the main version of the game, you are on Seventh Continent, and you're trying to escape the curse and cure yourself and then leave and, and be cured of it. For the demo, what they actually did was they created, um, very quickly, a new separate scenario where on your way back to the Seventh Continent, you got marooned on this small little island and you're trying to escape the small little island and continue on to the seventh continent. So it's brand new content. Um, I think they borrowed some of the art and redid some other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely know they borrowed some of the items because there's one item that's a, that's a direct 
taken is just supposed to be a teaser because it has no no use in the game right now. Um, <laughs> but so I know that some of it is a teaser, but the actual full game and the puzzle in the game was created specifically for the demo, so it doesn't spoil it at all for the main game. I know that they published a print and play that was larger that they printed and sent off to various reviewers before the game happened. I know that there's a lot of people are like, we want that one. That's the first part of the main game. So printing that off, it's actually the first part of the main game. You would actually completely spoil the first part of the main game. And additionally, it doesn't necessarily show you all the mechanics and everything. What they, they tried to get, you know, like a checklist of all the mechanics that would be in a shorter period of time without spoiling the main game. So I appreciate what they're looking for, and I think that they did do it. I think that this is a good demo, and I'm fine that this is if this is all that they released. I don't think they need to release the full one, personally. Yeah, no, I, I like that it's a separate story, and I think it'd be neat if uh, you could take an item from the demo into the main game. You know, you got off the little island, now you make it to the seventh continent, and you brought this thing you found with you. That'd be neat. <laughs> well, let's talk about some of the spoilers for the game, if you're okay with that. Sure. All right, so spoiler warning. If you don't want to hear spoilers, fast forward about ten minutes. Maybe more, insert, maybe less. Yeah. Maybe more. Check the show notes for how long to fast forward, but you go for it. Anyway, um, let's talk about a little bit of spoilers. Um, so in this game, so you're stuck on the island. Now, the island's only going to be two cards of terrain big. And there's actually two or potentially three ways to get off the island. And so for each way that you get off the island, it says you are headed toward arrival site number one, two, or three on the seventh continent. Now, I don't know if that means that there's actually going to be three places that you start on the seventh continent. I have no idea. It could be. Hmm. Um, which is an interesting, if that's, if that's the way they're revealing that, that's a very interesting way of revealing that. Uh, but there's two basic ways to get off the island. And so the, the first way is if you get off the island to the, um, to the east, so then you'll have to either sail away or swim away. And so that just requires a number of successes, and you may be able to build the raft to get off the island if you didn't destroy your only source of wood. It's a very small island, so you may have ended up destroying your only source of wood. <laughs> If you accidentally destroyed your only source of wood before realizing you needed it for the raft, you can either restart the game, um, and being that it's so short, that's okay, or um, you can just try and gauge your successes and get off the island without the raft. And I'll tell you, we actually had each of those things happen, and it's funny, from having demoed the game so many times, in addition to playing through it solo myself before demoing it, I actually saw the game get solved even with just this one little demo, get solved different ways. There was one group that went through the whole game and they just rushed it. <laughs> they, <laughs> they never saw the raft. They saw some, they saw that there's a temple to the north that they looked at. They didn't go find any food. They didn't go find any other clues to any other puzzle. They're just like, oh, look, it's the way off the island. Look, we beat the demo. <laughs> I was like, look, okay. That wasn't on purpose because they were actually just trying. They didn't know what it would do. They had no idea. They didn't actually know they were going to escape. They just sort of stumbled upon escape. Oh. And afterwards, they're like, "What was it? What was everything else doing? <laughs> we <laughs> want to go back and we had to go back and try that again and see everything else." And so, you know, I find it just interesting that so many different ways got played. Now then, I've demoed it now 
quite a number of times. I think, what is it, three times, four times? Four times I've demoed it, and then I played it myself. There's one of the puzzles which works like this. At one point in time, you interact with the sea turtle and ask, do you want to catch the sea turtle? If you try and catch the sea turtle, it says, draw a card, 004. Okay? Um, if you draw a card, 004, it says, you failed to catch the sea turtle. What you're supposed to do is there's another clue somewhere else that says... Uh, the way to get at the island is to catch a turtle four times. And what you're supposed to go figure out is, oh, well, when I tried to catch the turtle, I got card four, and card four didn't actually catch the turtle. But if you multiply four by four, you get card 16. Oh, instead of going to get card 004, I'm supposed to go get card 016. And if you go get card 016, you catch the turtle. Which lets you uh-huh. learn that you can use turtles to help you swim. I see. Okay. okay. So, so so there's a puzzle in there you got to solve, which is, it's totally in your head. Right. It's, it's a totally in your head puzzle. Um, now that I like the game because it's going to have puzzles in the game. This one is t- entirely in your head. And really, the rules don't support this at all. <laughs> I have not found anywhere, although I'm potentially breaking news. Someone has just emailed me and said that the rules say you can. And I know I looked through the rules before that, that, to my understanding, say you cannot do that. You can't just say, oh, I want to go get card 016 just because I think that's the solution to the puzzle. There's nothing in the rules that lets you do that. And, you know... It, to my understanding, when you're playing a game, if the rules don't let you do something, you can't just yeah. go do whatever you well, want. I mean, these, like you said, this was kind of rushed. These might have been just some rushed rules, too. But but from knowing this now, when you go play the game, you you know to look for stuff like this. The well, weird thing is, if you thought to yourself, oh, maybe I'm supposed to go look at card 16, but that wasn't what the clue was. You've yes. now put in the wrong card and gotten yourself all confused and possibly and you, messed up. And you may have spoiled it for yourself also, because it may be that card 016 is actually a clue for the next puzzle, and now you've gone and shown what the next puzzle is supposed to be. Yes, and that could get tricky. That could get tricky. So I know that I sent an email off to the designers, and I basically laid out, because I know that we we reached, yeah, I'm not going to say it, I was in some other game, and I know that they had a similar sort of thing that happened, and so I was playtesting for them, and I said, I don't think this is going to work. And many of the playtesters were not happy because they had a similar thing that was occurring. So um, so with uh, with this game, I, I just, I, I didn't understand. If the rules don't say you can do it, I, you can't do it. And you can't make a puzzle that doesn't work like that, and that potentially just lets you go get anything. So I sent an email off to the designers, and they said, well, first of all, there are no puzzles in the game that are currently like this, which just lets you go get cards without any reference. Is entirely had. There's no such puzzles like this in the game. What they wanted to do was they were trying to get a puzzle that isn't in the main game and was new for the um, Kickstarter demo. And so this mm. was the one they reached. And so they were really trying to rush it because they did it after they got back from Essen. And they hadn't really plotted, planned this out beforehand. They were dealing really making this in response to Kickstarter requests, demands, um, <laughs> to get a demo out. And uh, so... They they sort of got this one out. 
I'm putting more words into it perhaps than what he strictly said, but my understanding is that it got rushed and this is the one that they had and it's not in the final one. And they will strongly consider what it is that I'm saying before putting anyone into it. Additionally, they also said publicly that they had intended to put some sort of icon on card 016 that says that you can go get 016 if you think you should. I think. Um, but hmm. again, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that really alleviates it for me about being able to get the card just because you think you can. To me, that just still doesn't yeah that's tricky thing to resolve but i mean especially like let's say there's two anywhere near each other yeah i think i'm supposed to go get card zero one one hundred and really i'm supposed to be getting zero and i think i'm supposed to be getting zero two five and as i'm scrolling through zero two five i see oh it's actually zero two six i'm like oh look there's the guy can i pull zero two six and it's not actually zero two six yeah i mean where does the badness end (laughs) Maybe maybe somebody would have said, oh, four times, so i got to add four to four. I'm going to go to look at card number eight, right? And, you know, I could see somebody making that mistake and show up. And I, I suppose there's ways they could do it. They could have a whole set of cards that maybe have a different color border or something, so you know that this is a set that is that kind of thing. I, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe. But, but I mean, if, they're, if it's not in there, and currently they say it's not in there, and I understand the game is not finished and they still have a chance to add in more puzzles and change puzzles and things like that. It's currently not in there. I'm happy with it not coming in there. <laughs> well, maybe I'm going to have to try this out because that did sound awful fun. Even if, even if I heard it, I may jump forward and not listen to this. That's going to do. <laughs> That's a good plan. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that demoing games can't, you know, so here's an opportunity where demoing games is great because you could go out and try games. And I wish more Kickstarters had samples of that. And and I wish non-Kickstarter games brought demo opportunities. You don't usually see it unless it's on Kickstarter. Well, I think that many non-Kickstarter games do send demos to stores. And I think that many Kickstarter games do have a print and play demo. It's just a question, well, is anyone going to print and play it? And with the store copy, is the store making it available for you to play? Mm, yep. So I, yeah. I, I bet you there's some shady stores out there that just go ahead and sell them or something. Or, or, I know, for example, Epic got released yeah. recently. And I know that there's a demo copy out available at the store that anyone can pick up and go play if they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and if you've got that opportunity, it's great. Though I do wish more straight-to-retail games had a print-and-play demos. I do wish that. Because not everybody's got the opportunity to go to the game store, for example. I hear that. What you're saying, have a shorter game for a print-and-play? Yeah, some sort of print-and-play demo, of a, like like Seventh Continent just did. I hear A little mini-game. I hear that. The problem is you have to sort of con- condense it. But, for example, yeah. with something like Scythe, where the print-and-play demo is huge, oh. having a really sh- a really small one that would give you enough for a taste might be an interesting thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that might be something interesting. Yep. Well, all right. Let, let's jump forward to the the game. Or have and, a lot of music. Hmm. With lots of music, so that people have time to. Skip oh forward. yes. Welcome back. Uh, from the uh, from missing that spoiler. Boy, that was amazing. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's all I could say is wow. You should go back and hear it after you played the game. Anyway, <laughs> so, so so let's talk about Sylveon. 
This is a game by uh, Shady Torbay again, as we as, as we said, and it's part of the Oniverse series, and it's the second big box Oniverse game, which is not that big a box. Uh, this game was released. Was it this year? Yes. Yeah, recently. That's I right. It, it, it is really just a few months back, wasn't it? Yeah. Um. So this game, if you're familiar with Onirum, it, it's similar. That's sort of in the same universe, but the gameplay is extremely different. If you if you get this thinking, oh, you're gonna play another Onirum, you, you're way off. It, it, it feels and plays extremely different. It, but it has a, a common setting. Um, in this game, you are helping protect the forest from fires. There's fire elementals that are attacking your forest, and the poor trees are defenseless. So you're going to try and help defend them with the help of some of the animals in the forest. And, and that's basically the story. In the game, it works out to be a, a tower defense style game, more or less. Um, and that's in that the, the fire elementals will be coming from one end of the board the tableau that you've set up and moving into your forest and you're setting up obstacles to block them. Well, maybe so, you should describe the layout of the board. Yes. So, so that was a real super fast, brief introduction. So first of all, what the game brings, like on has a really nice box with a really well done insert and everything. And basically you're getting a bunch of cards and uh, a big meeple, a fire elemental meeple, which is really pretty. The cards is a few different types. There's a, 12 tree cards. One side is a, a forest, the other side is a burnt forest. And you're going to lay these out on the table to to form a top and bottom of a square and then the left side of a square. So you're going to have four cards on the bottom, four on the left, four on the top. And these define the edges of the play area. And besides this, there's a number of player cards, probably about 50 or 60, I'm not sure exactly. And there's a few different types of cards in this. There's There's trees and... There's fountains, and then there's also some different elementals. The As you're playing the game, you know, I'll, I'll explain this more later, but you're going to play these cards into the table, or you're going to play these cards, and some of them go into the table. The trees and the fountains will go into that play area you set up. And as the fire elementals are moving along, they'll encounter these things, and different things can happen. Um, the animals are cards that you play from your hand, and they have an effect and generally go straight into the discard. And the effects could be anything from drawing more cards to destroying a fire elemental outright to letting you move a fire elemental on the board up to three spaces in a straight line. Um, and there's a few other effects, which I don't remember all right now. Then there are the the fire elemental cards are next, and I believe that's the last type of cards. You're going to have, I believe, the basic game how many is it probably like 40 elementals uh well probably you're gonna shuffle them up and make four even stacks so whatever number of cards are it's an even number of four um let's call it four and you get four stacks of ten you're gonna shuffle these up and set them up and there's the fire elementals have different ratings there's small ones i think the smallest are two no the smallest is zero there's a zero one two and Size three elementals, and then there's a few other cards that will have special effects. Um, when you draw them, for example, they might flare up all your elementals, where all your elementals become bigger. All the threes become fours, all the twos become threes. There are no ones, and all the zeros become fours. Uh, I believe that's right. There are ones. The ones become. There twos. are ones. Oh, yes. you're right. Ones becomes twos. Twos become threes. 
threes and zeros become fours. Yes. Um. And there's a Which few really other cards. Really hurts for those zeros. Oh, I, I hate those. Yes, I, I hate when they flare up like that. There's another one that another card that will have all your elementals all of a sudden move one space to the left. Which can be annoying because you weren't ready for that sometimes. So those are the different types of cards. Now the way the game works is you get, you're going to go ahead. There's a the, First of all, there's a basic introductory game which leaves out half of the gameplay. Um, we're going to just assume you already know the introductory and go straight to the, the standard game. Which is your, your deck of player cards that you have. The trees, the fountains, and the different animals. You're going to shuffle up the cards. And you're going to shuffle up the forest cards, and you're going to have the 12 forest cards. And what you're going to start doing is playing out your your player cards to four different columns. And each turn, you're going to play four cards, one to column, and pick one of the columns and take those cards into... They're going to become part of your deck. Then you can do that again, play four cards. Most of the columns now have two. One only has one, because you took the other card. And again, you're going to pick one of those columns. Once you've done that twice, you flip over one of the forest cards to the fire side, and it'll have a number from one through four telling you which column to remove. So at that point, you take that car- that set of cards out. They're no longer available to you. And then you repeat the steps. Add four cards, one to each column. Pick a column. Do it again. And then flip a forest card. And you're going to keep playing this way to build your deck. The goal of this is to build a deck and choose the cards you really want to have in your deck. Um... Once you've done this, you then take those forest cards, build the border of the frame again, shuffle up the fire elementals, and you now have a a square grid. You draw eight cards for your starting hand, and you begin the main part of the game, which is the elementals attacking you, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, What you do here is you'll flip one elemental card from each of the four stacks. If there's any special cards, like I mentioned, like the ones that flare up or move the elementals, you play those cards... Um, do their action, and then all the elementals, after you have done all those actions, all the elementals on the board move to the left, attacking your forest. Once that has happened, you're able to play cards from your hand. You could play trees to the table, you could play fountains, or you could play some of the animals and do whatever their special effects are. And and then you repeat. You keep doing this over and over, letting the, um, you know, drawing elementals, moving them towards towards the edges of your forest, and playing cards after that. And that that's the basic game. As you're doing this, you're trying to stop those elementals from reaching the into your forest. You're playing, for example, you could play a fountain on there. The fountains are numbered 1, 2, 3, or 4. If an elemental moves onto a fountain, the if the fountain is equal to or bigger, it will shut off the elemental. It'll basically burn out their flame. Or wash out their flame or whatever. If they have the same number as the elemental, then both of them get snuffed and shut out. So you remove your fountain. So hopefully you got sm- big fountains and small elementals meeting and, and you're fine. And it's important to note that the one of the values of the fountains is that if you destroy a fountain, you actually get to draw a card. Yes. Yeah, so sometimes you may tactically want to put a small fountain somewhere to draw a new card. I usually forget to do that. Most games I play, I do not draw cards from the fountains, unfortunately. That probably makes the game a lot harder. <laughs> well, you know, we'll get to that, but I found that the basic game, I, I didn't lose. I never lost a basic game. You are better than me. I don't know. I, you know, <laughs> I played a few times. This I never was never even close. Anyway, then the if you play trees out to the table, whenever a fire elemental encounters a tree, 
it will burn out the tree. If they happen to have the same number, then the fire elemental will also get extinguished. Um, and so that's the basic game. You're going to keep doing this, you know, drawing elementals, moving them to the left, playing your cards, drawing elementals, moving to the left, until all the elementals have been drawn. Once there's no longer any elemental cards to draw, they get one last move where they all rush to the left. And uh, you deal with anything that happens. Now, I didn't say any time an elemental does make it all the way to the left edge, the one of your forest cards gets flipped over the burned side. If One of them? One of them, right? One per level of fire elemental. I'm sorry. If the forest burns out completely, you lose the game. That's That's one way to lose the game. The other way to lose the game, I think, is if you make it all the way to the end and you have survived... I believe if your forest is not a hundred percent, one you you can also heal forest at the end. I believe, based on how many trees you have left. Mm-hmm. If if your forest is not a hundred percent green again, you lose the game. So those are two ways. It's a smaller loss, I think, because you at least made it through the end. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that's a game. Now there are expansions. The the expansions make the game a lot more interesting. I think. Now, I only got to play with one of them, but that one, what you do is you're going to add some cards to your player deck, and when you're building up your, your deck at the beginning of the game, some of these cards are going to come out here that are bad. <clears throat> Excuse me. You're going to add cards that are harmful, and, and so that kind of makes it harder when you're choosing which columns to take. Before, I found when I was playing, I always just take the biggest column, or any column that has a big fountain. That was my strategy. But now, sometimes, if you draw one of these bad cards, you're going to add it to a column, and then add another card, you may find you have a, a fountain that you want along with one of the bad uh, cards. I forget what they're called. So so they make the game more tactical. And they also add um, more types of animals. Now, I did not get to try the second expansion, which adds more Fire Elemental cards. Have you played with that one? I have not. Okay. That one looks interesting. And also, there's the last expansion, which is the Meeple. The fire meeple and that one, oh, I didn't play with. I don't remember how it works. I did look at the rules, but it moves along, along the edge of the forest, and if it it can it can be bad, is what I remember. It can I burn think, forest cards, right? Yeah, I think the way it works is that it, uh, whenever a fire elemental with a specific fire meeple icon comes out, you put the fire meeple on it, and the first time you would snuff out that fire elemental you instead put the beeple back mm, okay but that does mean that a lot of the time the meeple keeps jumping back to the front to the to the end of to the beginning of the line and he never really threatens your late game um fountains that's right though i when i play i tend to my fountain put my fountains as far to the right as i can mm-hmm. and so in a situation like that he may come out and snuff out a fountain that I was counting on. A nice big size 4 fountain. Mm-hmm. So so that will be interesting. Now one thing I didn't mention. A lot of this game is also hand management. Because playing cards. The, the better the card is. You have to pay for it with other cards from your hand. So so that will lead to some tough choices. You know some of the big fountains I believe. Cost the, the size 4 count. Size fo- I'm sorry. The size 4 fountain costs you 3 cards to play. Right. 
So, so if you've got a bunch of great cards in your hand, or your hand is getting really small, you you might find suddenly you're without a hand, right. or, or burning cards you really want to save, and and that makes for interesting choices. Well, I don't think you're without a hand, but yes, I get the point. You can't. I've gotten pretty low before because you're you're not limited in how many cards you play in a turn, other than what you can afford to play. And and so a lot of times I end up finding I have very few cards in my hand at all. I hear that. Mm-hmm. The animals are fun. I, I like the animals a lot because they add a lot of interesting choices to the game. It, the, it, the animals are where the interesting choices are because if you just have the fountains and the trees, you you just have fountains and trees. <laughs> yeah, well, you do have some choices there sometimes. You know, you may want to deliberately... You know, you choose to put a tree to to block a fire, and and you got two fires coming along. You got to decide which one to put it on. So it's, it's, it can be a little bit of a stressful choice sometimes. Tree blocks no, fire. What do you mean? If the tree and the fire are the same size, the fire elemental are the same size, they both get uh, extinguished. You mean a fountain? No, also the trees. A size three tree and a size three elemental will extinguish each other. Hold on just a second. Well, he does it. We should have had the intro for this episode be fire, fire. Because whenever I've had a game with fire, that's always been the intro. I think that the trees only stop a level zero um, elemental. It does not stop any other type of elemental. Oh, so this game is not as easy as I thought. <laughs> no, also, actually, just to make sure. Yeah, go ahead. I didn't usually burn out trees on purpose. So I don't think that was an issue very often. But I also want to make sure that when you... So after you draw cards, so you lay them on top of the deck that they're drawn, and then they immediately march one forward during yes. the next stage, right? Yes. So it may be sometimes that you, you'll draw four cards, three of them are fire elementals, and one of them says move all the cards forward. You immediately move all the cards forward, and then you move all the cards forward again right. because you do that every turn. Right. So the, the march continues. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that I think trees only can stop size zero elementals. Okay, nothing else. That's a little bit tricky. So now I, you know, I will say for the the first part of the the card drafting portion of the game, I was trying to play this yesterday. It does not work if you get kids coming by and talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> I was playing and and I went through this and I was about halfway through and my son starts talking to me and asking me questions and I totally lost track of which phase I was on. And to the point where I picked it all up, started over again. And then he started talking to me again. And once again, I lost my place and I picked it up. And I said, look, you, you got to let me do this. Just just give me a couple minutes and then you can ask me all the questions you like and we'll talk about anything you like. But let, let me do this. So he says, okay. He steps away and I'm playing this. And my daughter comes along to ask me a question. <laughs> it totally messed me up again. And what At that happened? point, I, I gave up. I could not, like, she's asking me questions and suddenly I don't remember if... If I'd laid the first set of cards or the second set of cards, and I need to to flip over a forest card or what, you know, and I get confused. I don't know which step because the steps are so similar and so repetitive. It's easy to to lose your place. You know, what okay. am I supposed to do next? Lay another column of cards or flip over a forest? I hear move that. a column, and and I find that confusing. I hear that. <laughs> yep, I find that so, really true with most games I play. Well. <laughs> yeah, some more than others, and a lot of games I could I could deal with it okay, but this one because the steps are so repetitive, I find it I find it even harder. But let me talk a bit about the components of the game yes. if I can. So first of all, just let's let's talk about the art on the game for a second. 
Um, I know that uh, each each type of card has its own art. So, like for instance, the fire elementals. The more dangerous the fire elemental, the bigger the fire looks on the card. So the zeros are these little itty bitty ones, and the fours are the big big fire. Same with the trees and the fountains and everything. The bigger it is, the the bigger it looks. Um, when you set up the game, once you're into the battle setup, you take your cards, your tree cards, your forest cards, and you use them to frame the battlefield. So you're going to be creating a six by six um, f- square field with the trees framing, framing the whole area. Um, I don't know about you. I find that annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it takes up a lot of space, and I didn't. I didn't like that. It took up a lot of vertical space. It does take up. It takes up a lot of horizontal space because if you don't have the tree frame, then all you need is a four by five square. Because all you need is the four for the the actual battlefield mm-hmm. and the one row of the fire elementals if you don't have that tree frame. So I've done two things, actually, to remove that tree frame. What I've done is I've taken little road pieces from um, from something like you know Settlers of Catan or wood pieces from other games if it's a flat wood piece and use those to make a frame. So you'll need eight pieces because you do need a top and a left to do it. Um, but if you have eight pieces, you make a frame with that and then your, your game is all a lot smaller. Um, at one point in time, I switched out and stopped using those wood pieces and I took two pieces of, of some cord, some thin, but heavy cord mm-hmm. and put knots along it at half and quarter each way and then tied it. So it made a T. So I was able to then frame the board with the with the rope actually it wasn't framing the board anymore because i had the left had a boundary and then there was one along the middle to designate where you had the four columns along the middle instead of along the top Uh, but i like that i like that more when it doesn't take up nearly as much room (laughs) i just Mm, didn't like that i just didn't like that you know you have this big space being framed by these cards it just took up more room than i really wanted to take up yeah, it does take up a lot. That that has bothered me a little bit. I hadn't tried uh, using anything else, to be honest. I've considered putting all the cards sideways, and then it wouldn't be as tall. It would just be a little wider. But I could yeah. deal with white easier than I could deal with tall. Eh, I just... It, it frustrated me. I just didn't mm-hmm. like... I didn't like how, how big it became, having that, that big, tall thing. So this was this was an easy fix for me. Yep. Yeah, it sounds like it. It, it, it definitely does take up a lot more space than on your room. Mm-hmm. You know, Onirim is a pretty compact game. You could probably play Onirim on an airplane table, tray table. This you could do it with this. No, this one could, which is a shame. Which mm-hmm. is a shame. I imagine that you could also use a play mat or something about that, but then doesn't fit into the nice little box. Yes, that's true. And you can't sleeve the cards and fit them in the box either, which is unfortunate. I know people like sleeving them, especially a game like this. It does get shuffled a fair bit. Not as much as Oni Rim, and I. No, <laughs> I had to actually. I took, I sleeved all my Oni Rim cards and put them in a different box because it didn't fit. Oh, but, wow, okay. But speaking of, um, so speaking of that box, I've got I know that they keep having this nice little insert with the foldable leaves, and the way it works on this one is that you have leaves that overlock on left and right that are the trees. And you mm-hmm. unfold those, and then you take out another leaf from the bottom, and only then can you access the rule book that's sitting on top of the cards. Uh, did you like that? 
I do. I like it. The, the The front leaves, the flames, are very fragile because if you try and pull them up, you'll bend the flames. So you got to be very mm-hmm. careful every time. And that I don't like. But I like the way it looks. It looks like there's a forest fire. The forest in front of the fire. No, fire right. in front of the forest. And I assume <laughs> you're keeping it? Yes. Yeah. I find it very hard to get in and out of the box with that. It really reduces my ability to get into it. Um, yep. not such, I, I think it looks really nice and it makes for a very nice presentation. But to me, I just feel that presentation is, is almost like not worth I, I i have no idea about how much expense goes into it but for me i definitely i've wanted to pitch it each time i never have because i find it, I, I i have difficulty getting rid of something that looks so nice yeah yeah but i for it's not functional it really isn't it's not functional it just gets in the way for me because it mm-hmm. makes it harder to get stuff out of the box now it does help hold things in place a little bit which is nice rules, but, uh, it's such a small box it holds in place pretty yeah. well already now, the next game in the series is out already, apparently. I saw pictures of it today on the Solitaire Games on your table, Geek List. Somebody in Canada has it. I believe it's only out in EU. I don't think it's actually out here yet. Oh, somebody in Canada had it. It's probably, you know, and Z-Man is based out of Canada. So it may be that they got the first copies now, and it's on its way down here already. No idea. Why is it? Castell- and it's called Castellon. Castellon. And, and apparently that one... It doesn't say when it's expected to be released. I wonder how they got it. Maybe, maybe you can get you can get on Amazon now for thirty five bucks. Wow. Okay, that's that's a little expensive. It's a twenty five dollar game, and that's probably somebody brought it from Essen. And maybe that's how it showed up in in Canada. It came from Essen. That's possible. I know somebody at my friend local game store. One of the one of the owners goes to Essen every year and goes to Gen Con. He'll bring back games from these places. That in some cases, games that aren't quite available yet at retail. So we'll see how that one goes. But anyway. Mm-hmm. So, so I was mentioning that, though, because the insert in that one is similar, but not as functional, even less functional, apparently. It looks like the way it's set up, the cards will get run, uh, scattered easily. So what that means is actually that the the cards will probably fit in that sleeved without any trouble. I don't think they will, because it looks like it's all the way to the top of the in height. For Oh, no, it's not. For no. Castellian, but I guess it's not. No idea. Only time. So anyway, but that one's not out yet, so it doesn't. Or maybe it's not out for me. (laughs) It's not out for me. What you're saying? Because there's so much room, the cards will fly out. The the top picture, the the first picture in his gallery, you could see that it's open. You could see the cards, and in the four corners, you see the counters. And you're saying that it doesn't go all the way to the top of the. The insert doesn't go all the way up yet. The plastic thing tray that the cards are in. I see. So if my game will sit on the shelf standing up, those cards are just going to tip over and get loose. Which, you know, it's not a big deal. It's not going to move around that much looking from the way it's organized, but... Trash the insert. Do it. Unite the inserts. Anyway, so continue to talk about Sylveon. Um, so talking about the the gameplay elements of the game, what do you think about the actual gameplay? I did not enjoy it much until I started trying the expansion. And at that point, it became a lot more interesting, I found. Why so? I don't know. I just... There wasn't enough choices going on at first, especially in, during the first part. I didn't find the first part. Um, the Is it the mobilization? I forget what they called yeah, it. Yeah, the mobilization that, battle. Yeah, where, where you're choosing and building your deck. I just found that the choices were always, for me, felt obvious. Okay. And, but but I like the, the game, especially when you're playing animals, and the expansion adds more animals. 
It just makes the game more interesting. Okay. Uh, with me, I mean, I don't know what you're doing that you're having so much more success. For this one, I seem to not be having a lot of success at the game. I'm not usually, I don't usually win. Hmm. I don't usually win. And I know I've seen some other people who say that at one point in time, the strategy for this just becomes obvious. And I've seen some people's suggestions for what the obvious strategies are. I don't know. I've tried those obvious strategies, and I guess that I'm just not getting it for this game. I, I don't seem to be having a lot of successful wins. I've, I've anyway, I mean, moved on to having Expansion 1 being involved with the Betrayal cards, um, just to you know get some more sense of what that gameplay elements are. But for me, I don't know. I guess I'm not sure if I'm doing something wrong. I don't think I'm doing anything wrong, but I'm just not, I'm not having this high rate of wins that I see other people being able to promote. Yeah, so, that's interesting. I don't know. For me, I'm still, I guess, trying to develop what the strategy is. Um, but do you think that the game will eventually be solvable more so than something else than only remember something like that? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a light game, so I, and it's pretty random. So I don't think it necessarily becomes solvable. One of the nice things is if if it is too easy, you get just the difficulty in this game. Um, your your twelve cards that are the frame right also are your health. Mm-hmm. And, and they say, you know, I think in the in the rules you start at full health, but they say, you know, just start with three health less or six less or whatever, and just raise the difficulty, and that definitely will make it more challenging. Because, for example, if you started with two health, which is very low, you, you are in trouble if you get hit at all by a fire elemental if he makes it all the way to the edge. So you have to work really hard to to get that up right away. And then get trees to raise it more at the end if you can. So that would definitely make it more challenging. Well, I know that I've spoken with Morden about this issue, and I think that uh, he claims that although that aspect makes the beginning of the game more challenging, if you can get set up with a bunch of strong fountains, so then the end of the game still isn't going to be challenging. You'll still be able to get through easily enough. Yeah, but you still need to get your health up at that point, right? Yeah, you you survive a little bit, but it becomes harder because now you you have to do more things with your cards and maybe not a lot more. Potentially. I know that his recommendation, if you're trying to make it more difficult is normally you get to draw three cards at the end of every mm-hmm. round. Instead, you only draw two cards at the end of every round. Mm, that's so good idea. that, that makes it uh, a lot tighter because you have less cards from the beginning of the game until the end, just less things that you can do as opposed to more things trying to take control of your attention. There's less that you can do. So you have to be even more uh, judicious with your actions and what it is that you're trying to get done. Yep, definitely. In, in this game, it is all about the hand management, and if you don't have a hand, there's not much you're going to be able to do. So so that would definitely make a huge difference. So are you finding it fun still, even though you, you didn't find it very challenging, or what? Yeah, I find it fun when I play it, I, definitely. I, I, I just I haven't been playing to win. I, I don't worry about whether I win or lose, and I just play for the, for the gameplay of it. You just play for the gameplay of it? Which I enjoy. Yeah. Okay. And that works fine. Okay. Um, I mean, I guess I play to win. <laughs> I, I do play because I do like the game, uh, but I do play to win. And I don't know. I find it personally frustrating when people, some people say, wow, this is a really easy game. I'm like, I don't get it. What am I doing wrong? It's not easy. So I guess that I will say I'm definitely going to take the other side from what I've heard other people say. Other people have said it's easy. I guess that. I guess maybe my brain just works a little bit differently than theirs. I'm not finding it very easy. 
Um, so I'm still finding it to be a difficult game, and I haven't gotten fully understood what the key strategies are and, and how to win the game consistently and successfully. So for me, there's still times I've played it, but I've uh, probably about a dozen times um, having played through it. And for me, there's still the discovery of trying to work out the strategy and which cards are more powerful, which are weaker, because once you already start to unlock more packets, so that each time you unlock, or not packets, expansions, expansions, mm-hmm. um, so then more cards get it added in. So at the beginning of the game, you only have a few animal friends, and then you get more animal friends, and then you have betrayals, and you have time vortexes and special actions that happen on the board and just wipe your board. So more stuff keeps getting added in, which changes the elements of the strategy and mechanisms that are going on. So um, for me, I'm still having that sense of discovery. I'm still still enjoying it even after I don't plays. If the game ever for me becomes a rote, where I figure out, oh, every time I see, for example, every time I see this card, I will make sure I use it or give all else out. If I would find out that there's one way to play the game that will win it every time, for me, that would become more boring. Mm-hmm. Even if I were to try and challenge myself, oh, I only have two cards. Well, if it's just a matter that with those two cards, the challenge is now, well, am I successful in being able to get it? That's that's still not interesting to me because then it's just a matter. Of, well, did I get the cards I need with those two cards that I'm given? Because I know that there is only one winning strategy. If it becomes that, so then for me this is going to be a turnoff. But I haven't found that, and that I guess that just hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if it ever does. I see. Okay. Yeah, but I still find it fun either way, though. One one thing that I'll say is if you haven't played this and you can start playing it. I wouldn't worry about the introductory game too much and just jump straight into the standard game. It isn't that much more complicated. Uh, and the basic game wasn't much fun. I think going straight to the standard game is fine and then add the first expansion as soon as you can. I don't know. Because that had a lot more choices. For me, the way I learned, I, I learned the game by playing the introductory game, but I didn't even mm-hmm. finish the whole game of it. I was like, okay, fine. You know, for the introductory, I, I think I was easily going to lose my first introductory game but i was like okay i understand these rules let's go play more of the real game and so i think i just used it to to learn and understand the game more than play the game okay yeah <laughs> either way you won't stay long in the introductory game probably yeah that's definitely something that we should mention mm-hmm. all right i don't know if i have anything else about this one that's it for me all right okay thanks for listening folks we'll be back in a few weeks All right, thank you very much for listening. Bye. Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode... 90? 89? I speak for the trees. I don't know. I'm going to find out. It's a good question. One player... It's good enough. We say we got both numbers. Oh, yeah, 89. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> the day is almost over, don't worry. Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on Solitaire World Gra-
Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractalude on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyrighted by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at donpancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-like license. Thanks for listening.